message is titled carry your cross well and we're going to be reading through Matthew chapter 16 verses 22 to chapter 17 verses 3 if we get that far I was kind of debating on whether how far I should go with this or not so I added the whole thing all the way to 17 3 which is actually um, um, but we'll see how far we go. We'll just see how far we go. So let's do the first slide, and we'll talk about a quick review of what we've seen so far. Last week, um, we talked about Jesus. Jesus is what? Jesus is who? Okay, now, stop. In your own life, think. When I say Jesus is, how do you answer that question? Don't cheat and look at that. Just look at the top line. Top line only. Don't look at... I should put one of those slides where you kind of... And you kind of open them up progressively, but no. Jesus is, they'll be honest, who, think for yourself, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you really think Jesus is? We showed a video last week about all kinds of opinions um, about who Jesus is. A nice guy, you know, some kind of mystical guru, some kind of, um, this, just various things. And some of them are pretty cool. Yeah, he's a savior, my soul, whatever. But even that, what does that mean? How can an ordinary man be the savior of your soul? So he can't just be an ordinary man, can he? Can, can an ordinary man save your soul? Can an ordinary person, can a good guy, a good teacher who, you know, who's on par with you know, Gandhi and Muhammad and Moses, can, can that kind of person set you right before God? Is that possible? Well, how could that be possible? In order for in order for Jesus to give us a right relationship with God, He has to be something extraordinary, special. And so, when He asked Peter and His disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" Peter answered correctly, and he said, "The Messiah, the Son of the Living God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the One who's coming to rescue the people, to save them from themselves." I hate to say it, but People can only blame themselves for the mess they're in. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Sin. We mess things up for ourselves. As soon as you get a society together, things go wrong. Why? Not because of the nature, not because of their environment, but because of themselves. We fight each other. We cause wars. We rip each other off. We steal from each other. We take advantage of each other. It's we do it to ourselves. But Jesus came to, to save us, to deliver us basically from ourselves. But we have to admit our sin. We have to admit that we need change. That there is a problem with me. Not just a problem with everyone else but me, but a problem with me. So he's the Messiah. He's the one who's come to deliver us, to change us, to rescue us. And after we come to that idea of repentance, we need something outside of ourselves. We need to know where to go. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's common sense. I've got a problem. Where do I go? You know, if I have a problem, say, with my roof, it's leaking. I've got a problem. I've got to, first of all, acknowledge the fact that I've got a leaky roof. <laughs> Second of all, I need to know where to go to get it fixed. Same thing with our souls, our hearts, our moral life, our spiritual lives. There's a problem. Where do I go? And this is the right answer. The Messiah. 
He's the one to go to. The Son, a living God. I like that because that actually makes it more specific. Jesus isn't just the Messiah as in maybe a good moral teacher. He is the Messiah, the Son, the only Son of a living God. This identifies God or Jesus as being God, the third person of the Trinity, as we would say. Jesus is God. He's not an ordinary person. He's not a good, just a good teacher. He is not just a prophet. He is God. And this is what he has built his church upon. The church has a lot of opponents. And a lot of the opponents even call themselves Christians, strangely enough. But, but why they're opponents is because they deny the fact that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Instead, they say he is not God at all. People, you call yourself a Christian or not, if you say Jesus is not God, you have gone against what Jesus is doing here. You go, you're going against Jesus. You're going against what he's trying to build. You're going against reality. There are many who say Jesus is not God. Those people are going against reality. They're going against what the church is being built upon. And if the church itself rejects God, Jesus as God, then the church itself will fall apart. But the real church will never fall apart because, like he says in verse 18, the gates of Hades, that's hell, that's death, that's everything that goes against God in life eternal, will not overcome it. We have no fear, no anxiety of being conquered because, see, God is powerful. God is spiritual, and he will enlighten us. He will instruct us. He will teach us. But that important rock, that important nugget of truth is here. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now listen, if you say he's an ordinary man, you take his power away from him. And there's no power for us. You say Jesus is God, there's our power. There's our hope. There's our chance. Because why? Because God's amazing. God can do all kinds of powerful, wonderful things. But if we put our trust in a man, there's no hope for us. If we put our trust in God, or Jesus Christ, specifically the Messiah, the Son of the living God, there's great hope for us. There's great chance for us. That's our only hope. So, but, so here, this is the, a, a great revelation for the disciples, and they're ready to go. Let's go out and tell every single person. Let's go out into the world. Let's tell the Jews, the Samaritans, the, the Gentiles. Let's tell everyone about this excellent news that Jesus, you, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But then Jesus says, no, hold on, not yet. What? Why not? Isn't that information enough? Isn't that, is that, what, isn't that it? I mean, you're here. Well, why wait? Because the cross has to happen. And today is about the cross. About Jesus' cross and also about our cross. Okay, yes, Jesus is the Son of the living God. But he has to die for our salvation. He has to die. It's a necessary thing that has to happen. Jesus did not fail on the cross. Jesus completed. He fulfilled his mission and our deliverance on the cross. So he orders disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Not yet. Because instead, he, from that time on, he starts to be, explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Here's another thing that people struggle with. Always. Not just today. It's not because today we're sophisticated. They've always struggled with this. Even in the first century, people have always struggled with the fact that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And they also always struggle with the fact that he died for our sins. Okay, he may have died. And that's unfortunate. Poor Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't just die. Poor Jesus. He died for our sins. He conquered death. He conquered Hades. He conquered Satan, the enemy. 
And then he rose from the grave. Okay, yes, get this straight. Jesus did actually die, and he was actually dead. There's a lot of theories that are bogus that say that he escaped from death. He didn't really die, but he, you know, maybe he passed out, and then he woke up, and he went to France. But that's his pants. That's rubbish. The reality is Jesus actually died, actually was put in a tomb, and it was a long time he was in that tomb. They went to go put the barrel spices on him, the ladies. So they moved this huge stone that a man couldn't move if he was even half dead. But these big, you know, well, actually they didn't because the guards woke up and the tomb was already rolled because the angels moved it. But regardless, he was in that tomb. They went to go put the spices on him and he was gone. Where'd he go? He was risen. Now, he didn't just disappear as if people stole his body. Oh, who stole his body? Because that was the, the legend at the time. Oh, they stole his body. No, it, he was seen by the eyes of people, like you have eyes and I have eyes. People saw Jesus for many days after his resurrection. Many days. So many people, the Bible says that they're all the disciples and the, the, the ladies and, and, and all these different people, and including like another, what, f- hundreds and hundreds of people. At one instance, Whoa, there's Jesus. Whoa, there's Jesus. He, he ate with people. He talked to people. He instructed his disciples. So many, 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 many people saw him after he died. So you make sense of that. What, how is that possible? How can a person be living, die, and three days later walk around town eating fish and bread with people? Because he's God. That should give you a lot of hope. Because whatever you're struggling with, Jesus, the one who you have an opportunity to serve and love, is God. Next slide. But you see, the mission, this cross thing that we're talking about, it's important because that sacrifice had to happen in order for us to have a right relationship with God. A sacrifice must happen. That sacrifice was Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. Had to happen. Satan would not, who, the opponents, the adversary, the enemy, would not want Jesus to on the cross. Why? Get this, guys. Satan, the enemy, isn't just the enemy of God, isn't just the enemy of Christ. He's the enemy of God's creation. And that would include you and me. Satan hates you. Satan hates me. Satan hates Satan worshipers. You know what I'm saying? Satan hates Satanists. Satan hates all of God's creation. Okay? So Satan does not want us to be saved. So he does not want the cross to happen. So Peter, he's, he's Jesus' disciple. He's, he's, he's a good guy. He loves, G- he loves God. But, but because of his mis. He's a, little, he's, he's a bit confused. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's scared. And he goes rebuke Jesus. Now, here's a funny thing. A rebuke. What's a rebuke? Peter took Jesus aside to rebuke him. What's that mean to rebuke? I put the definition down there. It's to tax with fault, to rate, to chide, to rebuke, to reprove, to censor severely, to charge one with wrong, to rebuke in order to curb one's ferocity, ferocity or violence, may formally give the word meaning to restrain. So basically, Jesus is trying to hold him back. No, 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 Jesus. You're going, you're going, no, no, no. We're not doing this cross business. We're not doing this Jerusalem suffering, dying business. Come on, Jesus. Wake up and smell the coffee. That's what Peter's doing to him. Now, here's the funny thing. That's why I highlighted and bold it. This is the completely most ridiculous contradiction you could ever make in your life to rebuke God and say no. Okay, think about that. He just said, Jesus, you're God, and then he tells him, no, you can't do that. Do you see the problem with that? You can't tell God no. You can't tell God he's wrong. 
Is God wrong? Is it possible for God to be wrong? No, by the very definition of God, he's perfect, he's holy, he's complete. He can never be wrong. So who tells God no? Who tells God he's wrong? No one but the enemy himself who's against God. Jesus knows the mission. He's going to instruct us this morning about the mission and our part in the mission. But this is a silly thing for Peter to say. To say, no, no, no. We're not going to have any cross. If Jesus didn't go to the cross, there'd be no chance for Peter. There'd be no hope for Peter. There'd be no hope for you. There'd be no hope for me. Jesus knew the cross is necessary. But I don't think Peter is actually filled with Satan or controlled by Satan. He's just being silly here. He's being dumb. He's actually trying to, he probably thinks he's being helpful, but he's really not. But, but there's a satanicness about it. Because, of course, anything that's satanic is anything that goes against God and his will. And even Christians can go against God's will. And in a sense, that is satanic because it goes against God's will. So we've got to be careful not to be like that, even in our well-intentioned. So Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Again, Peter's not Satan. Maybe he's talking past Peter to Satan. Or maybe he's talking about the principle of stopping Jesus from doing his mission. I don't know. But you are a stumbling block to me, he says. Which means you're trying to trip me up. You're trying to stop me. Why? I've got a mission. I know what I need to do. This has to happen. This is God's will. Don't stop me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Jesus saw the cross. That's God's mission. That is what God wants to happen. Just to be safe, to be rescued for the time being, to be comfortable, to hang out with his disciples a little bit longer, to have extra falafels and fish and wine and just party a little bit. That sounds lovely. That sounds lovely. But that is not what God wants. What God wants isn't just lovely. What God wants is excellence. It's perfect. Yes, it's nice to hang out and have a couple extra years, a full life, Jesus, with his disciples. But what's more important, what's necessary and what is excellent is that Jesus died on the cross. Satan, again, the adversary, the enemy, he's the one who opposes. One who opposes another in purpose or act. The name given to the prince of evil spirits, the inveterate adversary of God and Christ. He incites apostasy, which means turning away from God and to sin. So he, what he wants in your life, in my life, in the society we live in, in nations, in the world, is that people turn away from God, walk away from God, and live for themselves. So right now we're seeing a flow, a trend. God is all about turning away from human thinking, human seeing, turning away from oneself and self-preservation, and looking at the big picture. What does God want? Stop asking what I want, and start asking what God wants. The enemy wants us to stop asking what God wants and start looking at ourselves and say, what would make me feel good about my life? What would make me feel good about myself? There's the contradiction. And he's going to go on and explain this even further. Next slide, please. And the question is this. Would you like to be a disciple? Would you like to be a disciple of Christ? The invitation is here today, this morning. Would you like to be a disciple of Christ? Sign up here. It's as simple as that. You want to be a disciple? You can be a disciple. But it's not easy. It's excellent. It's beautiful, and it's the only way to go. But it's not easy. 
Satan wants us to be complacent and find the easy life and just get stuck into that little groove and you just exist till we die. That's what Satan wants, because he wants to rip you off. What God wants is what we're gonna see before us this morning. Matthew 16, 24, 26 says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, so he's already talking to disciples. They're like, hey, Jesus, hello, Jesus, we've been with you for like a couple years now. You know we, you've already called us to be your disciple. Why are you telling us that we need to do this in order to be a disciple? It's almost like this is how you start. But Jesus is teaching them. This is for you, and this is for everyone else. You want to be a disciple? You need to do these three things. These three things. It's simple. Hey, if I go to fill out an application, and I see three things, easy peasy. If I see 20 million things, like you usually see nowadays, I get frustrated. I have a headache. If there's three things, I can fill it out in 10 minutes. Easy peasy. Three things, easy, right? Well, easy to understand, but very difficult to do without a genuine, sincere, spirit-changed heart. Number one, you must deny yourself. Number two, take up the cross. Not just his cross, but your cross. Yes, everyone, brothers, sisters, you have a cross. And three, follow me. Not me, follow Jesus. So I listed it here in the column here, one, two, three, just in case you didn't understand that. Number one, say no to yourself. Again, Satan wants us to say no to God and live ourselves. That's the enemy. That's the distraction. And then live and die. And then that's us. But God has a bigger plan. And Jesus understood that bigger plan. So he was able to, he understand that it's better, it's excellent, it's right to take up his cross. And he's telling his disciples, you're going to have to pick up your cross as well. Huh? What does that mean? Well, It's simple. No to yourself. You've got to learn to say no to yourself. Children, when they're little young guys, they need to be taught not to be spoiled brats. Because even, even Freud talked about the id and the ego and all the different jazz. It's all about me, 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 right? So even as a young baby, we were all about me, 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 me. But we need to be taught no more me, 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 me. You need to look out for others. You need to look at the big picture. And that's what maturity is all about. When we're adults, we don't just look out for me. We look out for our families, our friends, our community. We work, we strive to, to better our environment, our society, our world around us. That's what grown-ups do. But babies, and some people stay babies even until late in age, just think of me, 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 me. But that's the first thing. You want to be a disciple? You've got to be a grown-up. You need to deny yourself. Know to oneself. Number two, not just once, at a revival meeting or whatever, but always and in every single way. Every day, every way. You need to always be willing to say no to oneself, to say yes to what God is saying to you. And number three, okay, Lord, now what? Okay, Lord, follow me. Number three, follow me. Okay, Lord, now what? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Uh, I'm yours. That's what a disciple needs to be like. And funny thing is, this is what discipleship was like back in that day as well. A young, a young disciple to be you know, would, would, have, would leave his family, would leave everything, leave his friends to go follow a rabbi. And he would, that would be him. He would pursue that life. And he would, he, would, he, would, he, would, he would be all or nothing. Jesus wants that for us, all or nothing. Thing is, in our world, and it's not just today, I think it's always been the case, because there's many people who saw Jesus and heard Jesus and said no to him as well. And they'll say, that's just too much for me. I kind of like living the complacent life. I like being just cozy and, and warm and bitter and whatever. I like that stuff. Bitter, sweet, dark chocolate. That's me, you know. They like that. They don't want Jesus. Because they don't like this idea. But here's the thing. 
And it's almost like, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like, it's like a mystery almost. It's like, it's, it's almost like it goes against human understanding. But it's, but it's a beautiful truth here. And he goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will find, or who loses their life for me rather, will find it. This is real life. So again, like I said about being like a child, learning to grow up. It's like learning how to walk. A child needs to learn how to walk. And this is us as people wanting to be real people, disciples of Christ. We need to learn to walk. So we need to grow up. So this whole process of the cross bearing is learning how to grow up. But once we do it, we start to realize, wait, it, it, it's, it's nice to be able to crawl around, but to actually walk is fantastic. You know, I mean, to run? This is, this is real life. This is fantastic. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to give us real life. So we have to say goodbye to the old ways, you know? Say goodbye to just, well, I just want to lay on my back and cry for my bottle every day. I, that's, that's me. That's what I want to do. It's like, okay, but there's more to life than that. He wants us to run. He wants us to live life the fullest. He wants us to enjoy life. Not just sit on our backs and drink baby's milk. He wants us to stand up and enjoy a big fat steak and walk and enjoy life and explore nature, you know, in the spiritual sense as well as in the real natural sense. This is real life. But you need to say goodbye to a lot of the old ways. The word life and soul, I, I underlined them. Life, life, and soul, soul, that we're going to see here. It's the same word. It's basuke, which is where we get the word psyche, like psychology. You know, the soul, the mind, pasuke. In the Greek, when you, in English, you see, we see P-S. When you say S, right? But in the Greek, you say the P. So it's pasuke, instead of psyche, right? And it's not Zoe. Zoe speaks of just animated life. It's like, it's like, like animal life, human life. It's just things that's animated, that moves, okay? But pasuke speaks of the soul, the human soul, breath, life. The see the feelings, desires, affections, aversions, our heart. And the Bible talks about the heart or the bosom, the soul. And nowadays, we would use the term maybe mind. Okay, the mind, pasuke, like psychology, mind sciences, right? The human soul, insofar as it is constituted that by the right use of the aids offered it by God, can attain its highest end in secure eternal blessedness. The soul regarded as a moral being designed for everlasting life. That is what you're designed for. That's what, who we are. Like Descartes, the, the, the French philosopher, he used to say, um, he used to call it the, 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 the I, the ego. Again, the word, the word ego again. He was, it was the I. When I say this is me, when I'm talking about myself, the I, I'm talking about this, the psyche, the suke, the soul, the, the, the mind. Because you see your body, you can cut things off and replace things. But you're not losing yourself. But there's something more to who you are. That's just, that's not physical. It's something more, it's something primary. There's something basic about who you are. It's your thoughts, it's your desires, your imagination. Something that you can't find under a microscope or under surgery. There's something who you are that cannot be seen with human eyes. Or even under the most powerful microscope. That's the psyche. You want to find it? You need to lose the old way. You need to die to yourself. And you'll find real life in Christ. But we need to leave behind what we think is real, but it's truly just counterfeit. So you want to save your life? You need to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Then you will find your life. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, even if you are rich, powerful, successful, popular, celebrity? By the way, guys, look at celebrities. How messed up can you be? There's not one single celebrity in this world that I look up to and admire because they're always on drugs and they're in and out of rehab and suicide and get the hint. Celebrities, that's not the way to go. There's no happiness in, in just, just being a celebrity. Now, if you're a born-again person who's picked up your cross and followed Jesus and you happen to be a celebrity, that's fine. That's a bit, bit different. But people chase popularity. People chase certain things thinking that's where my life is. No, life is in the cross. Denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus. You want to find life, and you lose it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Again, soul's life. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Again, life. Suke, mind, your heart, your who you are. You want to find out who you really, really are? You need to find Jesus Christ. In order to find Jesus Christ, to walk, follow him, you, you've got to leave a lot of baggage behind. Again, denying themselves. Number one. Number two, picking up the cross. And number three, following him. Next slide, please. Jesus already talked about this cross-bearing, okay? I, I call it, I, I think the distinction or would be cross-bearing as opposed to self-preservation, right? Because I think a lot of us don't want to give up who we are. We want to live for the I, the id, the whatever, the, the me, 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 me. And that's called self-preservation. Jesus is talking about cross-bearing, which is quite the opposite. So he already talked about this. And the funny thing is, though, Jesus' first two mentions of the cross isn't about his own death on the cross. He is talked about his death, but he hasn't talked about the cross. He's talked about going to Jerusalem to suffer and then to die at the hands of the leaders. But he didn't actually mention the word cross yet. His, so, so to them, they don't understand. All the, when you're saying cross, like saying electric chair. It's like me today, say, pick up your electric chair, sit in it, have a nice ride, and then follow Jesus. Kind of weird. Kind of weird. It's an instrument of death. Might be, oh, take some poison and follow Jesus. Huh? Kind of weird. So these disciples are probably going, what's going on here? But again, not about self-preservation. It's about cross-bearing or dying to oneself. Jesus' first mention of the cross, again, is in context to the disciples. In Matthew 10, 28, it says this. Do not be afraid. Now, here's funny. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I bullet it twice. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The reason why is there's nothing to be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of letting go. There's nothing to be afraid of, of stop self-preservation. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy the body, or the soul and body, in hell. And not two sparrows sold for a penny. Like you talk about little birds, little cheap little birds. They're sold for a penny. They have some value. And yet, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head, every single hair on your head, there's something. That's why I put this title. Do you not know how valuable your life is? The reason why I, I, I want to include this is when I'm saying pick up your cross, I'm saying to deny yourself, I think it's important to know how valuable you are to God. <clears throat> it's not like you're going to sell yourself out, give yourself to some business entrepreneur who's going to put you in a closet or file you away and forget about you. If you say no to yourself, if you deny yourself, follow Jesus full on, you can rest assured 
that you will be, you'll find meaning, purpose in life, and have total true value. You'd have it anyways. It's just, we just don't access it because we don't want to deny ourselves. Don't you know how valuable you are to God? You just, you, you're, we're just valuable, full stop, because of how God created us. But we're valuable to God. He knows every, every, the number of every single head on your hair. Wait, head on your hair? No, hair on your head. Some have more than others. But he knows exactly how many hairs on your head. So don't be afraid. He knows you. He thinks about you. God knows you. He thinks about you. And he has a plan for you. You are worth more than many, many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And this right here is quite important. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. This is reality. This is life. This is the world since the beginning of time. Acknowledging is cross-bearing. It's hard to acknowledge God. It's hard to say yes to God, to say yes to Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. I will give my life to Jesus. And acknowledging that before others, declaring that before others, stating it as a way of life before others. This is a part of what cross-bearing is all about. But to disown God, no, 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 no. Peter even struggled with that because he disowned Christ three times before he went to the cross. No, 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 I don't know Jesus. No, 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 I don't know Jesus. Uh, yeah, I'm not into that weird cult stuff, Jesus stuff, religious stuff. No, 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 no. That is self-preservation. That needs to stop. There's nothing shameful about belonging to Christ. There's nothing shameful about being disciple. In fact, it's so the opposite of shameful that I think it's for those who are genuine. So if you're going to follow Jesus, please be genuine. Please give him your whole heart, your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul. Give him everything because he's worth it. We don't deserve it, but he's worth it. So I say follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and, and take pride in it. Yeah, I belong to Jesus. Cross-bearing is a wonderful thing. Cross-bearing is the only way to really, truly have no life. That's what Jesus is basically saying to us, right? Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to this earth. I did not bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of their own household. The problem is a lot of people don't like the message of the cross. So there's going to be a lot of tension at home. There's going to be a lot of fighting, a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. Because, again, the idea that I need Jesus presupposes the fact that I'm a sinner. And if you come home and say, Mom, guess what? I found Jesus at church today. I'm a Christian now. They're going to be upset. You believe that stuff? Do you not know what it means? It means that you're a sinner. You're not a sinner. You're fine. You're, you're Scottish. You're not a sinner. You know, you're British. You're American. Whatever. You're not a sinner. Just be good and do good. And, and try not to rip off the government too much. And you're good. Right? You don't need Jesus. You're not a sinner. That's the world we live in. So when you come home and you say, I found Jesus, I'm a sinner, now I'm repentant, and I'm following Jesus Christ, I picked up my cross and I'm following him, you're going to get hated, you're going to be, people are going to be upset about it. They don't like that. Because why? It presupposes that they too are also sinners in need of a Messiah, in need of a Savior. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. But we've got to make up our mind. Are we going to pick up our cross? Are we going to deny ourselves? And follow Jesus. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me. Now, it's not, he's not saying don't love your father. He's not saying don't love your children. He's saying, but you need to put Jesus Christ first. 
in every relationship. That's what he's saying. You need to put Jesus Christ first in every relationship. Your husband, your wife, your, your, your father, your mother, your children, everything. Christ needs to be the first. And then you'll find out, again, that principle, when we lose that relationship, put Christ first, we'll find a pure, real relationship, a genuine relationship. To find the real, we need to include Christ. Without Christ, all we have is counterfeit attempts. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The last slide, please, Stuart. And this is the last slide. I didn't make it to chapter 17. Sorry. So we're going to end on verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. What are we going to do about this? Rewards. Now, there's a fancy Greek word, apodidiomai. Discharge what is due. Things promised under oath to render account, to give back, to restore. You see, we think if, we, if we're afraid of losing out on things, uh, this cross business, this picking up my cross, this denying myself, this being comfortable with myself, if, if we're afraid of doing it, there's no fear. Because Jesus is going to give you everything back, but better. He's given you eternal life. He's, you know, he's giving you real life. And plus here, because when he returns his angels, whatever you, if you, even if you're a martyr, even if you, if you get mocked and made fun of and even ultimately even persecuted and possibly even killed, he's going to restore everything in his kingdom. And it's a promise under oath to render account, to give back, to restore. There's nothing to be afraid of. Again, at times, we may feel like being a Christian, a disciple, one who bears the cross, that we're losing out on things. We're losing out. Everybody's having fun. Everybody seems to be doing all right. But by the way, that's a myth. Nobody's all right. Everybody's miserable out there. So just get that in your mind. I, I live on the main street. I see people going out, having parties, getting drunk, having a good time. But almost every single time, there's fighting and bleeding and hurting and betrayal. So it's not nice. It's not nice. So it's an illusion, Okay. There's, there's no joy in that. So we think we're, we're missing out. We're not missing out. We're not losing out on nothing. Even if we lose everything in this life, in a temporal sense, which means limited or you know, temporary. You know what temporary means? It's for a time. If we lose out on everything in this temporal world, we, we can only at least at the minimum <laughs> expect to gain eternity. Right? If, we're, if, Christ, if God's promising us eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ, then, and we lose everything in this world, it's just temporal. I mean, it, it, it doesn't last. It's, it's small. It's like a bit of sand that just goes away. It's like, it's, like, it's like selling your soul for a bag of crisps, you know? It's ridiculous. But if, if we lose everything, we can, if we've given our life to Christ, we can expect at a minimum to gain eternity. Everlasting. No loss. No end incorruptible, which means it doesn't go away. It doesn't fade, it doesn't rust, it doesn't get, it doesn't, you don't need to insure it because it's as a lifespan of five to eight years. You'll have it. It's, it's forever, eternity, no stop, no end.
Racing for 